so anyhow, it is, uh, it's great to see all of you here. And again, it's great to have Brother Cox with us today. I've known this man for many, many, many moons. I don't, I don't know if I remember not knowing of Brother Cox, at least at any point in my life. I've known him for quite some time. And it is great to have him here at LifePoint. And I want him to come up and to preach the word today. I believe that even on a holiday Sunday, as we've already experienced, God can move and touch and even alter the course of somebody's destiny forever, even on a holiday weekend. And I believe that's what God has in mind today. Brother Cox, come on up. Make yourself at home. Let's give him a great big life point welcome as he comes up. delight. I totally know, or at least I should say I believe I know that I'm completely in the will of the Lord today. And when they began to sing those songs, it fit perfectly with what I wanted to try to preach to y'all this morning. God's a good God. Can you say amen? I was, uh, you know, when you're a father, you don't ever quit being a father, I guess, until you die just lost my father a couple weeks ago and then I lost one of my spiritual fathers and brother T.F. Tenney just a week or so ago and I feel so uh, like I'm the old man now <laughs> then I got a text just a few minutes ago from a son that lives in Texas fell this morning while he was out exercising running trail behind his house gashed his knee up real bad and so that's what I was looking at. I don't normally look at text in church, but it, was, it wasn't good. So he's at the hospital right now <laughs> trying to get it fixed up. But that's what happens when you're in shape. Now, if he'd been like me and fat, he'd have stayed inside. <laughs> he'd have eaten a good breakfast. He wouldn't have a gas knee. He'd be in church. See, that's <laughs> Sometimes it pays to be out of shape. <laughs> Thank you, Brother and Sister Hill, for this invitation. I love your pastor and his family. <clears throat> I mean that sincerely. Wonderful people. And uh, I miss the fact that their daughter and son-in-law are here this morning. Sister Lizzie was supposed to be in this spot. And so I'll have to do my best to try to fill this spot today. Would you stand with me? I'm going to go to the word of the Lord in the Old Testament Isaiah chapter 4 if you have your Bibles if not I've given them the scriptures and uh, hopefully they'll probably be quicker like that <clears throat> I love being Father's Day because in my opinion every day we live should be Father's Day Brother Tenney used to walk in the office when he was alive he'd come in I never heard him come in of a morning but he'd yell out with that voice this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Every time he came in, that's what we heard. That's Father's Day. So we ought to live every day as if it's Father's Day. When I begin to read my text and all of this, you're going to think I've absolutely lost it. And maybe I have. We'll judge that when we get to the end of it. Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 1 says this. And in that day, Seven women shall take hold of one man, saying we will eat our own bread, wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. I want to title my message this morning. Have you got it on there? You can throw it up there. Just let them read it. Why are the X's in Texas? Let's ask God to help us right now. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for how good you've been. And I'm asking your word to be multiplied today in our hearts. And that when I finish speaking, somebody's going to be more in love with you than they were when they walked in here. That's my goal today. And let it happen in Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. I've never been one to listen to a lot of worldly music, but you can't help but hear it when you're in restaurants and stuff like that. Um, 
And quite honestly, I had to get on the Internet to find out who sang All My Exes Live in Texas. And then before I preached about it, I, I made sure, thank God for the Internet where you can look things up, I made sure that there wasn't anything in it that was really super wicked. <laughs> uh, but George Strait sang that song, All My Exes Live in Texas. And there's a little tagline goes with it. That's why, does anybody in here know what the rest of it says? That's why somebody got it. Somebody in here said, that's why I hang my hat in Tennessee. Yeah, never heard it. <clears throat> and the challenge that I had with telling you all that is some of you will the rest of the day be going around and in the back of your mind you're going to hear George Strait singing, all my exes live in Texas. I know that. I took that challenge today. It's amazing. In fact, uh, I was telling you, pastor before churches that were in there getting the scriptures and things. They, in, in the in the advertising world, they have what they call earworms, and they diligently search for earworms because they want there to be something that'll get in your mind that you can't get out of it. And that particular phrase of that song is what they call an earworm. You may not remember the rest of it, but you can remember all my exes live in Texas. Isaiah's writing, and of course Isaiah is full of prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. A lot of the writings of Isaiah in this Old Testament, he's trying to let the children of Israel know you've messed up, you need to be looking for your Savior, you need to be turning back to your Father. It's your Father's Day. And then when he comes up with this right here, this scripture, when I read that, I don't tell him how many times I've read it, but it just, it got a hold of me. Seven women, I, I, got the, I, I got the various commentaries that I have and began to read through them. Seven women take hold of one man. He's given us a ratio. He's not given us a specific, but what he's saying is there are going to be women who so desire. They said, look, all we're asking is to let our children be called by your name and take away our reproach. Wow. That's all we're asking. They are not asking. We, they, he said it. We will eat our own bread. You don't have supply provide for us. We'll wear our own clothes. Just let us be called by your name. Those are drastic days when there are seven, the ratio of seven to one, if you will, where that they're claiming just let us have a name. You see, by law, even in this day and hour, a man is responsible to provide food and clothing. But under the Old Testament law, it really was. You're supposed to provide food, clothing, shelter for your family. You say, we still believe that? Oh, yeah. There may be some in here, and don't raise your hand, but there may be some in here that you've got a previous family somewhere, and you're still paying child support. It's very, very likely in a crowd of this size that that's happening. That's because of the law says you're supposed to support. These ladies said, we're not worried about support. All we want to know is that we can have a name for our child so our child doesn't seem like illegitimate. They didn't care about modesty. They cared nothing about anything else. They weren't worried about the fact that they might be made fun of because of, of, of not being a, quote, proper family. This We want a name. Here's what I've learned as a father. By the way, I got married in October the 20th of 1979, to the absolute most beautiful lady that God ever made. And I loved her tremendously, and I have two wonderful sons. And they thankfully took after mom and not after daddy. They are all both good-looking, great guys. But, but my wife, when she married me, of course, I didn't look quite like this. Thank God, you know, time makes a difference in a few things, but... Uh, she was impressed enough to believe that I could take care of her, both physically and financially. She married a CPA, and four months later, or three months later, she was married to a full-time pastor of a church that just barely could provide enough for us to survive. There's a lot of difference in what CPAs are paid and beginning pastors are paid, I promise you. Uh, but she 
felt like as long as I was with her, I had her fooled that she was protected from danger. Part of that came from in the time that I was dating her. One time in particular, we had gone to Six Flags over Mid-America, and they had a ride out there, and my buddy had told me, he said, I'm in his he and his future wife and me and my future wife at that time, neither one of us engaged, but he said, man, we got to go on this ride over here. If there's one out here make you sick, we're going to get on it first. This one will get you sick. I said, let's go. To this day, I've never been sick on a ride or anything else. Boats, I'm blessed, I guess. I'll probably be next time. But we got on and spun around on that thing, and we got off my buddy and his wife-to-be were green. He said, we got to sit down. I mean, they were sick. I said, okay. Me and Lisa are going to go get in this line over here. We're going to ride that one. I don't even remember what the ride was. And if you've ever been to one of those, you know, you got to go through these things, look like you, you know what I'm talking about. So we're going through them. And she looked up at me, and she said, I'm not feeling good. And she had that green look. I'd been properly trained. Don't put your hands on a lady, you know. And don't, man, I'm glad I'd been trained by my dad, my mom, to do that. And here we are, and... There's the way to the, and you can't go back through all this line with those hundreds of people behind you, but there's only one thing keeping us from, so I just reached over, I grabbed her by her arms just above her elbows, and I just lifted her up and set her down on the other side. She told me later, she thought, wow, <laughs> how'd he do that? Back then I could handle it, don't ask me to do that today. But she loved that feeling of protection and safety. And I can't tell you how many times in our marriage, both that way and then emotionally, she would come to me for her protection. A woman wants that. They want stability in a home. You guys can live in a tent. You'll go camp out and go hunting or fishing or something and act like a heathen. Women don't want that. They want a stable home. They want a nice place that they can decorate and after my wife passed away, I couldn't believe all the stuff I owned. I still don't know the stuff that I own. I honestly mean that. Around the house, I open up a cabinet and I'm finding stuff and I'm like, how about that? In fact, my two daughter-in-laws know more about what I have of that kind of stuff than I do. I'm not a woman, but that's part of a woman. She wanted to have that nest. But she also was so proud to be able to call her two sons by our name. That is the same category. You see, the problem with seven and one is if you've got seven connected to one, that's not going to get along very good. I'm so glad in the United States we have a law that says one at a time. I can tell you that you don't want to live in a home. I know that some of them made it popular over the TV and the news, et cetera, for the last several years about some of these people out in Utah or wherever it was that man had several different wives. I can tell you that guy's got problems. I promise you, women don't get along good when they share husbands. I know you're laughing. I'm, I'm going to give you a Bible. In the Old Testament, there was a man by the name El, Elkanah. He had two wives, Hannah and Penina. You can read about it in the book of 1 Samuel. They didn't get along. That's right. If you want one that maybe you know a little better, there's a man by the name of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You've heard that. Jacob had a couple of wives. One of them was real pretty and the other one wasn't. Rachel and Leah. And they didn't get along. Scripture tells us why. It says no man can serve two masters. I better leave that there. And <laughs> but my opinion of the world today is there's too many X's. <clears throat> You're kind of wondering what I'm saying. What I'm really meaning is there's too many wannabe brides. In the Bible, that's why I love those songs we sang. That one that they sang about getting out of jail, that wasn't how it said it, but you understand what I'm saying. What, give me some of that words again. Came out of that grave. But the words before that were so fantastic. Somebody remember. Yeah, you called my name. You knew who I was. You brought me out of a world of darkness. You see, biblically, and I'll prove it to you here in just a minute, there's just one bride of Christ. 
Biblically, there's just one church. Now, I don't mean one assembly of people. I'm talking about there's just one church because the church and the bride are the same thing. Oh, yeah. And in the world, there's a whole lot of wannabe brides. That's why I'm so thankful for your pastor who has established a church here in Prairieville that believes what the Bible has to say and stands on what the Bible has to say and refuses for anything less than truth to be preached in this congregation because it's truth that will save your soul. And it's truth that will get you in the bride of Christ. Very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, and it starts out by, in the beginning, God. I'm glad we know where our beginning is. I don't have time to go there. But I go to verse 27, and this is what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Notice what it says. Male and female created he them. That doesn't make sense if you understand math. You don't. Wait a minute. And so what is the image of God? I want you to try to follow along with me. What would the image of God be? I have seen artists, pictures, drawings of who they thought God was. Normally they'll draw something that looks like a wisp of smoke. You know why you can't find a picture of God? Because the scripture says God is a spirit. None of you have ever physically seen a spirit. But they're very, very real. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what is the image of God? Well, Genesis 1.27 said, God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I'm going to simply say it to this. If I want to know what my image is, I find a mirror. This morning when I slid that necktie on, because the windows on the vehicle that I would drive have a little tin into them and the sun was shining, I was able to turn around and my window became a mirror and I made sure that the tie was where it was supposed to be, or at least I thought it was. I can promise you that the vast majority of you looked in a mirror this morning before you got to church and you saw your image. And I know that some of you are like me. Ever so often you look in that mirror and you get disappointed with what comes looking back at you. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't like what I see, but I don't have enough discipline to change it to where I want it to be. I got clothes in my closet that fit me. And then I got clothes for the size I want to be. Praise God. They don't ever get worn, though. So when God looks in the mirror, so to speak, what can he see? How can you, you can't see a spirit. So what I'm telling you, when God image, he reflects marriage. Oh, you're saying I'm not sure about that. Yeah, Genesis 1.27, male and female created he them. And most of you, when you got married, very likely the pastor that married you said something this order. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. You know where that comes from? Those are the words of Jesus Christ. And it goes all the way back to where he put Adam and Eve together when he formed Eve out of Adam's side. Because when he first made Adam, the only creation God ever made, and he said, this is not good. He was talking about Adam. And he didn't mean that Adam wasn't good, but he said it's not good that man should be alone. Forever, forever stallion he made, he had a mare. Hello. You understand what I'm saying? For every male, he had a female. But he had made a man, and that wasn't good enough. And God said, I've got to get him in my image. And so he created for him a woman. You say, Brother Cox, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, my God is looking forward to the day when he has his bride. Oh, yeah. I want to take you now to Isaiah chapter 61, this tremendous prophet of God. And I'll begin reading to you in verse 10. This is what he says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. 
for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. I like it when God puts clothes on us. He said salvations are clothes. He's not referring to this right here. I think you understand what I'm saying. Then he said he has covered me with a robe of righteousness. When I have his robe on, I want to do the things that belong to God. Then he said, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. He's trying to describe, again, a marriage. I can tell you particularly, you ladies in here, I know you well enough to know that the vast majority of you started out when you're a little bitty thinking about the day you was going to get married. Don't tell me any different. I've lived around too many of them. I understand. And I'm, I was shocked when I got get ready to get married and found out my wife had bought magazines and books and studied about what you do at weddings and what you wear and what you don't wear and who this and that and the other. As far as I'm concerned, let's go up and get married. You know, that's the man's side. But no, that woman, she's going to, that's her day, if I can say it that way. She's looking forward to being that, quote, princess walking down the aisle in that beautiful white dress, symbolizing her purity, etc., etc. So Isaiah's talking about that, and he said, she is like that bride that adorneth herself with jewels. I flip over to Isaiah 62. I'm not going to leave that scripture alone. But 62 and verse more, for he said, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be called desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. I didn't know what those names meant, so I looked it up. I found out that the word Hephzibah, leave that scripture up there for a little bit, means simply this, my delight is in her. <laughs> and that term Beulah, some of you have heard that song, Beulah land, I long to go, you know, we just get all happy about it. We don't even know what Beulah means. I had an aunt named Beulah. I did. She's passed on many years ago. I found out the word Beulah means bride married. So what he's saying is when there's coming a day, you're no longer going to be called forsaken and desolate. But instead you're going to be called my delight is in her and you're going to be called married. And verse number 5, he said, For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall my God rejoice over thee. God says, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be rejoicing when my bride makes her way down the aisle, so to speak. Now I'm going to back up to where I was. I did this on purpose. He says about that bridegroom and that bride, how that she adorns herself with jewels. This, this, this doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out because I figured it out all on my own. I didn't read it. I didn't find it in the commentary. But I have never walked into a jewelry store that looked like that right over there. Who, that man running those lights, can you put the brightest lights on me as you can put right now? Am I standing and, and then take them back down just a minute later? You walk into a jewelry store, they may have dim lights overhead. But when, but when you look inside that case where that jewelry is, they've got the most brilliant lights Shining on that jewelry. Look at there. Boy, he did it then. <laughs> Not that I'm good looking at it, but no, no, no. I don't have any jewelry on. I wish I had something right now. One of you ladies give me your wedding ring that's got a diamond in it. I, I promise you, I need some. I'll give it back. I really will. Here, Sister Bauer, I can't jump down anymore on my legs. Legs don't do too good. Watch this. When I Can you all see this? See that light hitting that thing? When I move that around, boy, it looks like fire in that ring. Say what now? <laughs> oh, well, you know, 
Oh, it's big enough, it's got you this far. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> but isn't that neat how that... Now, Sister Valerie, come up here. Walk up on this platform with me. I want you to go stand in that far corner over there, over there where there's no light, way over there by that baptistry. Here, take your ring, way over there. There's a few lights on those drums. And I want you to hold that ring up over there in that corner. Way back over there, up, up, up those stairs, up in that corner. You're not going to see that fire in that ring like you did with those fabulous lights up there on me. Hold that ring up. You just, you just, the difference is the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And when you get in his bride, the thing that's going to make you so attractive is when you begin to reflect the light. My God, my God, my God. Mm. You say, well, Brother Cox, what do you mean? I've got a God that's rejoicing because when you begin to reflect the light, that's when he gets excited. And that's what we want to have. So who's in the bride? Who is in the bride of Christ? Well, by definition, I can tell you because Jesus said it to Nicodemus, except a man born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So that's your definition. But that's the definition of what the qualifications are. I want to show you who is in the bride. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse number 9, he said, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we know what's not going to be in the bride. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So I'm thankful none of that junk is going to be in God's kingdom. But I'm glad he didn't stop at that verse. It's the next verse that makes Father's Day so important. He said, and such were some of you. <laughs> but now you're washed. And you're sanctified. And you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, all the exes are not out in that world. There's some exes that are in this church this morning. My God. And you're here because God has given you a new name. When you went down in that water in baptism, you took on his name. You became one of the world's exes. And God says, I'm going to put you in my bride. That ought to be reason to rejoice today. Yes, some of us were fornicators. Some of us were those things. But because God said, I will, I no longer have to be that way. Woo. I was going to take time and prove to you. I'll just give you the scriptures. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, read it. The church is his bride. John chapter 3, he says he is the bride. Christ is the bridegroom. So I've got biblical proof that we're the bride. He's the bridegroom. But see, God had to take on human flesh. That's why Jesus came. You can't see a spirit. But when Jesus showed up in this world, they could see him. But he left this world on a cross, never having physically been married. Some say, why? He couldn't get married. Because he can't marry a physical bride because he's got you that he's going to be married to. <laughs> oh, but oh, if there was ever anything that worked on his nature, it was such as that. You see, he's 30 years old. You don't read at age 30 where he's healed the sick and raised the dead and opened up the blind eyes and healed the cripple. No. But age 30, I'm almost able to prove biblically that his father, physical father on this earth, Joseph, probably dead. And Jesus and his mother Mary and his siblings 
who were fathered by Joseph, his natural earthly father. They head to a wedding in Cana. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you something. There were people, you know, you know why you get invited to a wedding? You're either family or a friend. I married the greatest lady, but the governor didn't show up. The president didn't show up. You know why we didn't know them? We may know their name, but they didn't know us. Hello. You know who came to my wedding? My aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my friends. You understand what I'm saying? So evidently, Jesus, his siblings, and his mother are at this wedding because they know who's there. Somebody, there's, you, 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 I, I think I don't have to belabor that point. It's being held at Cana. And of everyone that's there, I promise you I know enough about humanity. There's still some of those relatives over on the side saying, even after 30 years, I still don't believe Mary was virgin. Mm, I know what they look like. I could have described them. You know, Sam, I, you know how you can because you've known people just like that. They can't accept anything. They only believe the worst. They can't believe the right. But if anyone there knew she was a virgin, and if anyone there knew that Almighty God came down and overshadowed her and became the father in her and that she truly was a virgin, that she had never known a man, it was Mary. And for 30 years, she's had to endure some of the looks that some of those others gave her. And for 30 years, she's had to put up with a little nip, 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 nip on the side because after all, yeah, you get the idea. But now, they've run out of wine. For whatever reason, they tell Mary. I don't know why they told her other than God's got funny ways of doing stuff. She's not the host. She's not the one in charge of providing wine. But they say, Mary, we got to have something done. I don't think she was in the wine business. I think she was a widow. Her husband been a carpenter. That doesn't sound like wine business. So what I know is this. They came to her, and she says, ask Jesus. Could it be that Mary had heard him talk in those private times? I don't know. But maybe he had told her about someday I'm going to get married, but my bride is going to be a bunch of exes. <laughs> Woo! Could it be? And so it's at a wedding. That she says, whatever he says, do it. By the way, that's the last recorded words. I'm sure she talked after that. That's the last words we know that she ever said. Whatever he says, do it. I still say that's the right thing. Whatever Jesus says, do it. And so he tells them, go get that dirty water that the people have washed themselves in and just simply pour it out and drink that. I'm not touching that. You ever been to a church foot washing? Hello. Brother Dean, several years ago at men's conference, had one pan up there and started getting those guys. And there were about 10 in a row, and I'm like, God, please don't let Brother Dean call my name. Because those guys weren't prepared. They were pulling off dirty stocks and sticking dirty feet in that pan of water. And I'm thinking about all the diseases, you know. I'm like, oh, God. Thank God he didn't call my name, and I love Brother Dean. You go, don't you go home and tell him any different, all right? Yeah. But anyway, if you really want to be humble, drink the water when they get done with the foot washing. I ain't going to. But that's what Jesus is telling them to do. Drink that water. But when they poured it out, it's the greatest wine. And the ruler says, they've saved the best for last. Jesus was trying to show not everybody picked up on it but what he was saying all of that dirt all of that grime that was in the water when it gets a hold of Jesus <laughs> for such were some of you but now you're going to be purified now you're going to be justified he took what was common and unclean and he made it the purest and the best and that's what he's still doing Because it's Father's Day and it's Father's Day every day in the church. 
same old prophet back there, Isaiah. Behold, your sins might be like scarlet. He said they might be red like crimson. But he said, guess what? When the Lord gets a hold of them, they'll be as white as wool. They'll be like a freshly driven snow. Why? When God puts his blood in your life, it changes that old ex, the one that used to serve sin and the one that used to be the crazy and it makes them a brand new creature. That's why if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new. I'm getting ready to close because I'm watching my clock. And I promise to quit sometime. Praise God. My wife and I had pastored for six and a half years in Florida and came back to Bogalusa to be co-pastor along with my daddy. We lived in a rent house. And my dad found a piece of property not far from where he lived. He said, son, why don't you see if you can buy that and build your house on it? I said, okay. So we did. But... Uh, we didn't have enough money to get it all done like we should. So we moved in with it unfinished. We moved in it with a mud driveway. And I'd sold my car. I was driving an old wore-out pickup truck. That was all we had right then. I mean, it was everything we could do to be in this real nice house. And it was pretty. But we still had to finish it on the inside parts that we'd have done. And my wife and I'd work trying to do it ourselves. And, and we were wore out one day sitting on our porch. And looked, and coming up my driveway, my dirt, mud driveway, is a nearly about brand new Camaro IROC Z. Some of you fellas know what that is, and you're drooling when I say it, you know. And pulled right up in front of my front steps. We're sitting in some chairs because we're exhausted. We're just taking a break, you know. And the door opens on the passenger side. And out steps a lady that could have modeled for any, you know, fashion model thing. I mean, she was gorgeous. And I'll just say it this way without being x-rated. She wasn't dressed modest. A door opens on the other side. A crippled guy gets out, walking on a cane. Found out later he hadn't shaved his beard or cut his hair in 13 years. 13 years. He was short. She was tall. He was ugly. She was gorgeous. I'm like, it must be the Iraq Z. Because <laughs> they don't match. And he comes waddling over using that cane to walk. And he says, are you the new preacher at the Pentecost Church on Avenue E. I said, yes, sir, along with my daddy, I am. Of course, dad had been there a long time by that time, and I'd come back. And He said, do you mind if we come talk? I said, come on in. Literally, we only had one couch and two chairs in the living room to sit in. Other than that, we'd have had to sit on kitchen table chairs. Because I'm telling you, we were, you understand. So we came in. I sat in one chair, my wife sat in the other, and they two of them sat on the couch. And that man began to pour his heart out. He said, I'm hungry for God. And I heard all kinds of stuff. It was several hours later, after tears and prayer, Kendall told me, he said, I'm going to have to go. And I said, man, you sure need to come to church. I mean, we had prayed, we had cried. It, it was, it was quite, a, quite a day. I said, you got it. He said, I'll be there. But he said, I got some things I got to take care of before I get there. I've heard that so many times as a pastor, and that'd usually be your last time to hear it. But this time, three or four days later, in my driveway, drives up an old beat-up pickup truck, pulls right up the driveway. Oddly enough, my wife and I are out there again taking a break, worn out. Fellow gets out, he's crippled. His hair's cut and there's no beard. And he grins big at me. He says, you know who I am? I said, only if you weren't walking in that cane and crippled would I know. But you're Kendall. I wasn't for sure. You hadn't shaved your beard and cut your hair in 13 years and then all of a sudden you shaved and you're not driving an IROC Z, you're driving an old wore out pickup truck. 
you don't, you know what I'm saying, it takes a stretch. Thank God for the crippleness or I wouldn't have known. He walks up and he said, uh, I want to talk to you some more. I said, man, come on in. I said, where's your wife? He said, I took her home. I said, what do you mean? He said, it wasn't my wife. He said, I took her back to her husband. She lives in Jackson, Mississippi. I said, okay. I mean, this is just matter of fact, you know. I just was assuming that was husband and wife. I said, where's the IROC Z? He said, I took it back. I would stole it. I'm not making this up, folks. I'm not stretching it one bit. I said, okay. <laughs> By now, I'm open for anything. He said, the reason I'm here is to tell you I'm going to be at church, but I've still got more to do. He took the word repent truthfully. I found out later he still had to clear all the drugs out of his house. That he had gone back and taken everything he had stole from anybody he could remember and gave it back to him. And then he showed up at church and hit that altar and repented of his sins and I baptized him in Jesus' name and God filled him with the Holy Ghost and he bought a big yellow button. He'd, if he had his old ball hat on, he'd wear it on his ball hat. If otherwise, he'd pin it to his T-shirt and walk around crippled and grinning and he'd look at people and he'd say, see my button? And the button says, ask me about Jesus. And they'd say, what do you know about Jesus? And he'd pull out his driver's license and he'd show them that 13-year-old beard and haircut and the guy that he used to be. And he'd say, this is who I am now. Within the first couple months' time, there were six new families in that church because of a yellow button that said, ask me about Jesus. What I'm trying to say is, I don't care what you've done. I don't think you've been as bad as Kendall was. He told me once, he said, Pastor, I think I've committed every sin you can commit but one. I said, well, my goodness, Kendall, what's the one? He said, I never was involved in homosexuality. But he said, everything else, I did it. But thank God for the grace of God. I preached his funeral a number of years later and his mama's still alive, but she told me, she said, Brother Cox, the thing I'm so thankful for is that when Kendall died, he was serving God, ready to meet God. I don't have to worry about Kendall. <laughs> He's one of those exes. Stand with me if you will. There's an old song we used to sing. They come to the music. They want, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. This is Father's Day. Can I tell you the greatest thing about fathers is when you're their children, you can carry their name, baptism. You can carry their genetics. I like genetics. My dad had and I know I'm talking to probably some today that may have not even known your father. And I apologize to you. I just buried one of the greatest men that I've ever known in my life, my daddy. I'm so proud to have his genetics. But none of that matters. What really matters is when I was seven years old. It's when God took a hold of me and forgave my sins. And he filled me with his spirit. I was baptized in his name. It's Father's Day. That's been 55 years ago. And I wouldn't take anything for it. Because 55 years later, I can still know that I'm one of the devil's exes. Mm. And I apologize to George Strait for changing a little bit, but all the exes don't live in Texas. There's some exes this morning in Prairieville, Louisiana, here at Life Point Church. <laughs> I had a pastor in our district text me this morning wishing me happy Father's Day, he and a whole bunch of others. But I just made a special text back to him because just a few days ago, Byron Hippolyte sent me a video they'd made on their phone as they were in their car. And his oldest boy is telling the littlest one, the oldest one, I think Judas three, maybe four. And he's telling Shiloh that's a you know, fairly newborn, maybe four, five, six months old, whatever. He's saying, I'm going to baptize you in Jesus' name. 
tells him that more than once. I'm going to see that you baptized in Jesus' name. You know what makes me so happy about that? If you know Byron, he used to be a rapper out on the streets. But somewhere along the way, he became one of the devil's exes. And he's preaching this truth. He's in the bride of Christ today. He's in St. Martinville. I'm not saying this to make a difference. Byron knows I love him. But I want you to understand, not only was he a rapper, he lived in the hood. He's a black man. But when I see Byron now, in fact, when his wife and little Judah went walking by at General Conference, they didn't know I was sitting where I could see him. And she never saw me. But when little Judah saw me, he grabbed mommy. Hey, there's Brother Cox. And he had to come up and give me my hug. That wouldn't have happened if Byron was still in the hood rapping his rap songs and he may have made it big. I don't know. But I'm glad that all the exes aren't in Texas. I'm going to turn it back to your pastor. Just a My boy had a little bulldog puppy. I think it was eight weeks old. We had loaned some people our dog pen and that little bulldog puppy was starting to grow up. And my goodness, my wife loved that little thing. And she, you know, a bulldog is an outside dog. But she'd bring it in every evening and hold it on her lap and pet that little thing. His name was Bruiser, but Bruiser loved my wife. He loved all of us. In fact, I guess my wife's love got in him. He just loved people. You didn't have to be afraid of Bruiser. He just was so happy around people. So he's about eight weeks old. We had loaned our dog pen, and Andrew said, I need to go get that dog pen back. And he drove up and called the people ahead of time and said, yeah, we don't need And they had one of these little, I call them Pekingese or Maltese or something, one of them little bitty dogs. But it's three or four years old, and it was about the same size as Bruiser. And they got there, that little funny dog, you know, that little bitty thing, went out and started barking barking at Bruiser and he's like oh there's me a playmate you know he's ready to lick it and happy and happy and happy and that little dog come up and bit Bruiser and it didn't bother him not the first time and then she kept growling bit him two or three more times after about the fourth time of getting bit happy go lucky Bruiser turned around and did what bulldogs do he latched on those little sharp puppy teeth and he wouldn't let go and that little Maltese is over there going I said well Andrew you need to get it off you should have got it off you should have he said I wasn't about to that dog had bit him enough this time you know what I figured out how that nobody told Bruiser he was a bulldog as far as he knew he looked like that one there He didn't have a mirror to look in. But there was some bloodlines in his past that says if you get hurt long enough, it's time to retaliate. Nobody ever told him you're a bulldog. Bulldogs just grab a hold and hang on. But bloodlines says grab a hold and hang on. (laughs) When I took on the blood of Jesus Christ, That's why that song says he pulled me out of that grave. Thank God I'm no longer in the jailhouse of sin. But what a difference he made. If you don't have it this morning, you need it. I give it to you, Pastor. Listen. Thank you, Brother Cox. Beautiful word. Listen, we're coming to the end of our service, but this could be the beginning of somebody's life. If you've never turned to Jesus, I mean like, I surrender all, everything I am, everything I've got, everything I'm not. If you've never made that, the Bible calls it repentance. You've not turned from other lords, everything else you served, and turned to Jesus as Lord of all. You can do that today. He's ready and willing He's wanting you to turn to Him. You say, man, I'm too bad. No, no, you're not too bad. You just heard that. You can become one of the devil's exes. How many of you have experienced that testimony before? 
I was blind, but now I see. I was all that, but now I'm different. You can become one of the devil's exes. If you've never been water baptized, like he was saying, in the name of Jesus, we've got water over here. Listen, it's clean. It ain't like that foot washing water he was grossing me out with. It's clean water. We put essential oils in it. Not really. I'm just kidding. But it's nice, clean, warm water. We'll, we've got stuff for you to check. We got robes and, and you can, hair dryers and whatnot. You can get baptized today. You don't have to wait. You can get baptized today in Jesus. Some of you have been there done that. You, you know what that's like. People say, well, I was baptized when I was born as an infant. We don't do that here. We'll, we'll baptize kids. It's, it's a faith act, though. And when somebody says, I've turned to Jesus, what's my next step? You need to be water baptized in Jesus' name. And if you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, hear what this preacher is saying. To the point where you speak in tongues, I know it's bizarre. And in church world, some people even ridicule and make fun of that. I'm going to tell you, that experience is a game changer. And it is real as this piece of plastic up here that we call a pulpit. It's real, and it ain't plastic. It's real and powerful. Some of you have experienced that before. I'm telling you, those three things right there are so important and so vital. You don't have to have everything figured out, but if you've turned to Him, been water baptized and filled with the Spirit, you got what it takes to go the length of this journey. We, we, we've, we've buried some. We've lost some in, in the last few weeks and months. And I'm telling you what it takes to go the length of the journey. You can get all of that here today. I'm going to say a prayer right now. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness. You have been so good to us. And on this Father's Day, as we honor you, this Father's Day, loving you, God, for the fact that you can make us one of the devil's exes. Lord, I I pray that your convicting power, your mercy, your love, All of that, God, who you are, that kindness, that tenderness that draws us in, Father, would flow throughout this congregation, Lord. You would make yourself so real, God. You would challenge us to take the next step. We don't have to know all the steps, just the next step. And today, somebody's next step is repentance. Today, somebody's next step is water baptism. Today, somebody's next step is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that you would just make that happen right now in Jesus' name.